chapter of the book of Proverbs has got such an interesting little word to play at the beginning. Now, I will warn you, I'm not going to be detailed. There's an hour-long study on just a few verses. I'm going to breeze over it. I'm going to give you some, some tidbits, a part of it. I strongly encourage you to put in YouTube, Proverbs chapter 30, Chuck Missler. He'll go through the details with you. So I'm going to mess it up a little bit, but just to give you this little bit, it's just so much fun. We're looking at Proverbs chapter 30, almost finished with the book of Proverbs now, one more chapter after this, and we get to the strangest little word game here that seems completely out of place. The words of Agor, the son of Geka, his utterance, this man declared to Ithiel, to Ithiel and Ucal. I thought Solomon wrote the book. I, what, did they, what did they start doing weird things here? Did they change chapters? What happened to Solomon? Good question. Let me let you on a little something. Let, let you in on a little something. Does anybody know what Solomon's original name was? Does anybody remember from their Bible studies? What what he was named by Nathan the prophet? Jedediah. When you see, when you're reading through 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Chronicles, you'll see Jedediah was his original name. He was named Solomon by David. He was also called, according to Proverbs 31, Lemuel by his mother. And all these names here are also root-worded in little Listen to this. The words of Agor. Agor literally means collector. Collector. Solomon was said in um, Proverbs chapter 1. I don't remember the song number, but he was a collector of dark sayings. Not dark as in like the dark side. Dark as in like fear. Not a lot of light. Something that needs to be dug out. Pulled out. Mined. Does that mean anything? Stay with me. Lemuel, 
I'm sorry, yeka uh, means carefully religious, pious. The words of Agor, the son of Yeka, his utterance, this man declared to Ithiel. Ithiel means God comes, arrives, or is with me. Ukal literally means to be consumed, like eaten. Unless you put all of these root words together, added with the things that it says there, the words gathered of the wise son of the pious father, the prophecy of the mighty oracle that God arrives to be consumed. If you've not read any of Chuck Wisdom's stuff or listened to any of his stuff, he does this phenomenal thing with, uh, with the, the names of the, um, the patriarchs in the book of Genesis. Another time we'll study that together. This is the same type of thing. Now, there's always meaning, multiple meanings for different words. But I love what Chuck Wisdom says. If you have a key and it opens the door, why do you worry about what keys, what doors it doesn't open? You have a key. Listen again to the root of all of these words we just read. The words gathered of the wise son of the pious father, the prophecy of the mighty oracle that God arrives to be consumed. Well, I see kind of what you mean, but when you say consumed, what do you mean? Keep your place here. We're going to come back, of course. Turn to John chapter 6, please. The fourth book of the New Testament, the fourth of the Gospels, chapter 6, and start in the 51st verse. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. He's called among themselves, saying, How could this man give us his flesh? Which I want you to know, drinking blood in any form was completely against the law. The law of Moses. But for him to say that to them was not just weird, it was very sacrilegious. Do you understand what I'm saying? Each of flesh would be animalism here. But let me tell you, Marty. Back then, Jewish people spoke this language. Did they understand what we put together there? I was Proverbs. Just say that. Remember how the Lord works. He expected to know things. When he went up on the hill, he fulfilled prophecy. When he stood up there and said, You missed the daily visitation. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that stonest the prophets, and those those whom I sent to you, I often wanted to gather you together like a mother and gathers the fish. But you were not willing. He 
He did not hold them accountable for what they knew. He held them accountable for what they should know. I gave you the Bible. You should know these things. They knew all the words. They spoke Hebrew. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I am him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he talked upon you. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, they said, This is a hard saying. Who could understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? But then, if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before, it is the Spirit that gives life. Flesh, prophets, nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit. Woo! Chill bones, baby. Zach, Proverbs, please. When you find the key that fits the door, you don't need to try try another key. Not to say, ah, it, it don't work. This is one of those really cool things that God does throughout the whole Bible. If you study the Bible with Chuck Missler, you'll see these things in such a way your faith will be so strengthened. I've often suggested you gotta read, I'm sorry, you gotta study the book of Matthew with Chuck Missler. The numerical values, the, the wording, is laid out and counted in such a way. I mean, if you're not into numerology right now, the things I'm saying, like, I do not know what you're talking about. Totally understand. But if you're one of those people that demands you, your faith is dependent upon what you see and what you just do me a favor, just study chapter one of Chuck. Just go to YouTube and say, chapter one, Chuck Missler, Book of Matthew. And then come back and tell me you still don't believe. You don't want to believe. Why does he do this weird thing here? Why is this King Lemuel? I'm, I'm sorry. The words of Agor, the son of Jacob, the son of the utterances. How do you know why? All these are different names for Solomon. Why do we include them there? Because God told him to. Here's the key Messiah is going to come and he's going to say, Eat my flesh and drink my blood. That's weird. Exactly. Here's the truth. I, 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 I stuff. Verse 2 Surely I am more stupid than any man, and do not have the understanding of a man. I neither learn wisdom nor have knowledge of the Holy One. He does it again here. This is so, this is so interesting. Again, Chuck Missler's weird stuff before we get into the 
the meat and potatoes of the wisdom? Why would you say that? If you're stupid, why are we listening to anything you have to say? I don't understand. It makes no sense. I mean, is he just saying something tongue-in-cheek? I mean, is he trying to be, I don't know, self-deprecating maybe? Listen, you see the word for nor there? I neither in wisdom nor have knowledge of the Holy One. That is added later. It should be italicized in most good Bibles because it was what's called added for continuity. It doesn't belong there. Listen to me. He's not saying that he doesn't have it. That word there, understanding of a man, neither learned, that literally means I was not taught wisdom. Solomon is saying, I did not have to be taught wisdom. I was given it of God. You understand this? And you see these little things. This is what I love about studying Chuck Mister stuff, especially the stuff that Chuck Mister has this saying, nothing's there by accident. Nothing's there. If it looks weird, it usually means, he always says it's a red flag that means big here. Surely I am more brutish, I read it out of the King James, than any man, and had not the understanding of a man. I neither learn wisdom, nor have the knowledge of the holy. And literally it means I was not taught wisdom, and have had knowledge of the holy. I have knowledge. I was given knowledge by God. That's cool stuff, man. That's super cool stuff, right? That's the part stuff. Who has ascended into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? What is his son's name? Now, Solomon wrote this. Just about nine. Solomon reigned from 970 to 940 B.C. Just about a thousand years before Christ. But he is asking us, does anybody know this? Do you know who God's son is? This is so... If you're new to scripture and you read this, your first thought was, of course, he's talking about Jesus, right? Well, we know that because a thousand years later, the Son of God came. But they didn't know that back then. We have the hindsight to know this. We have the, we have the act knowledge. He had the foreknowledge given to him by God. Now, you will find every single verse in verse 4, every single line in verse 4 has an answer. And as a cool Bible quiz, you can answer all those questions with scripture verses. So you can do that for me. Every word of God is pure, verse 5. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Wisdom begins now. Day one, class one. No matter what situation you're going through, no matter the circumstances of life, no matter whether they have been brought upon by yourself, given to you by God. You learned something very important on Sunday. Very, very important. Number one thing we learned on Sunday, 
God doesn't punish people. If you're going through something, you're going through something for very, very specific reasons. Number one, you're going through it so you can comfort others. Number two, you're going through something so God can train you up. Because unless you go through the gym training, you're never going to get strong in the Lord. And number three, you're um, going through something that God can reveal His glory to. You could have done anything else you wanted. God can get you out of any mess that you can create for yourself. You can smoke all the crack, you can do that, you can drink, you can party, you can do anything like that. There is no place where God ever says to those who love, well, you got yourself in the mess, get yourself out. You can surround yourself with the Word of God at any point in time, and it will be a shield to keep you from and rescue you from the worst things that can happen. Now, is God going to turn around and pull you out in front of the train if you step in front of the train? Of course not. You can, you can go and you can go and do yourself. Or you can live righteously your whole life for God. You can, you can surrender your whole life to God now. And I heard Pastor Bob used to always say this. This is what he said. He said, you know, what if I'm wrong? What if I'm wrong? What if God made believe the whole time? What if the whole thing was a setup? What if, what if, let's say Ron, you're wrong, man. You're wrong. Let me tell you what I missed out on. I could have a lot of Okay. What if I'm wrong? What if I die and I get, and, and, and it, you know, I don't go nowhere? Yeah, well, let's see. You know, take away every spiritual stuff. The kids are surrounding me. The business is blessed. I'm surrounded by family every single week. Tell me why you're right. And, you know, non-believer, tell me why you're right. And what if you're right? Well, I partied and I had lots of sex. And, and you probably got divorced. And your kids probably resent you for it. You've probably been through a ton of jobs already. What if I'm wrong? I'll take my wrong when somebody else is right. You guys understand that? Amen. The real question is, oh, I'm right. I live the life filled with blessings, and I get to live heaven. And the unbeliever lives a life full of pain and curses, and he goes nowhere. Every word of God is pure. He's a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Believe me, every single person that's ever taught the Bible 
needs to know, should know, and should fear, verse 6. But I, I heard it was um, James McDonald one time, he said, you know what, God doesn't need your scaffolding. All these isms that people come up with, uh, I believe in Calvinism, I believe in Armenianism, I believe in this ism, that ism, this. He said, listen, God doesn't need your scaffolding. Okay? You need the Bible. That's all you need. That's all you need. Doesn't need you to build anything. Well, because the Bible says this, we, we talk about it a thousand times, we never stop. What's the best interpreter of the Bible? Right. The Bible. Two things I request of you, deprive you not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. I love the literary change here. It does almost seem like somebody else wrote this, or Solomon might have wrote this a little later in his life, but he definitely takes this really interesting literary turn. His poetry now seems to have a little bit more um, less staccato and more of this flowing feel. He goes to this thing, and it's such a cool little stanza, let's call it. He says, you know what, God? I have two things I like asking. Before I die, remove falsehood and lies far from me. Number one, man, I'm so tired of telling people yes when I need to I'm so tired of telling people no when I need yes. Man, can you, can you help me with this thing here? I love that. I love that. It's with me every day with God. Every morning I wake up, it's like, God, man, I'm alive. Why are you doing it at all? I don't know you. Then he says, feed me with the food. I'm sorry, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me. Because if I have poverty, then I will, I'm sorry, if I'm full, I will deny you and say, who is the Lord? But if I'm poor, I'm going to steal and proclaim your name. Just can I be somewhere in the middle? Now, if you've ever read this, I guarantee you, if you're like me, you've had trouble with it. Because being poor, you're like, yeah, being poor was really sucks. So, can I try the rich thing for a while? And then if I don't, if I'm not generous about it, then we'll do the middle ground thing. I love the way he does this, and that goes back to a little bit of wisdom. Do not malign a servant to his master, lest he curse you and you become guilty. I love that little bit of wisdom there. This is something you can apply immediately. He says, let's put it into general terms of today. He said, if you have an employee, don't trash one of his employees. Don't malign a servant to his master. You know, don't be one of those people who trashes somebody else's employee. Because you're going to be found guilty and you're going to be proving yourself full, full of curses. Yeah, but what if I'm just trying to help out? He doesn't need your help. Believe me. Do not know line. Do not put down an employee to the boss. Well, because when a ruler pays attention to lies, anybody want to finish that one? 
his supervisor. All of his employees become wicked. Cha-cha. I want you to think, if you're a boss, I'm sorry, if you're an employee and you're in the company, and you go to the boss and trash your fellow employees, here he says, that's the curse you be found guilty. Very interesting little thing happened there. Think about that now. Now you can say, yeah, but I want to be faithful. Don't make your excuses or it's okay for you. Don't trash your fellow employees to your boss. Don't trash one of those guys. Don't do that. Now, apply this to anything. But somebody comes to me and tells me some wicked story about one of you guys here in the church. Like, don't do that. I'm not interested in gossip. Those people, they're, they're my family, and, and I'm as messed up as they are, so I don't know what you're, you're like telling me something. Like, I'm like here and there. You guys with me? Interesting. There is a generation that curses its father and does not bless his mother. There is a generation that is pure in its own eyes, is not washed from its filthiness. There is a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes, and their eyelids are lifted up. There is a generation whose teeth are like swords and whose fangs are like knives to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among them. You can write in there 2021, 2022. I think it shows us a few things. Every generation was terrible. Kids are. How many of you guys, on a show of hands, you were in your teens, if somebody were to look at you, they would have focused about you. Hallelujah, God's still in business and changing lives. Hallelujah. When I'm praying in the morning and I say, God, I go through the Our Father, and I, I, I assign all of these little things in my life to so I say, Our Father, I'm and then it goes to thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And I start to give God, give God, God, I give you my relationship, I give you my finances, I give you my health. But then at the end of that, it's thy kingdom come. And I go, God, I really wish you'd come back today. And then I can't help but say, because I'm safe, and people that are anxious to go to hell. So much. I want to. I, I, I don't want to see that. I don't want anybody I love to see that. So if God will come back now before my girls and hope my little ones will get older and some guy come along and take them from me. Oh! Can we, can we circumnavigate through that and just come back now? And there's always that knock in my heart that's like, what about all the people that are not saved? What if I already came back the day before you got saved, Ryan? You guys see me? So it's always a struggle when I read this. It's like, this generation, they need to be saved. This generation whose teeth are like knives and forks and spoons. And... Verse 15 The leech has two daughters. You know what their names are? Give and give. Or it's not enough. The leech has two daughters. Give, give, give. 
So now how do you apply that? You see a leech and you say, hey, I know you're good. No. You know people who always want, want, want. You know what the Bible calls them? And we get some people that come to church. They call the church or they come to church and they come to the Help with rent? No, absolutely. Help with rent. Help when you go to church. When we go to, uh, and they tell you the name of the church they go to. Okay, well, how come you haven't gone there? Well, uh, we really haven't gone to church in a while. Or we ask them, hey, so what's your pastor's name? Uh, Guy that guy that preaches. Yes, yes. He said, I'll tell you what, I have an idea. Why don't you come to church a few times? Let's sit down with your finances and talk about it. You mean? Well, you see, you want us to get money. People work hard for the money, and the people that put money in that box didn't really trust that we both be responsible with so if you have needs, you want to meet those needs, but we can't afford your money. So why don't we sit down, bring me all your bills, and let's go through them. Maybe you won't bills. You just let me in your life. You came to me and you said, can I have money? Did you think that's not an invitation into your life? Now all of a sudden you want to be. You know those people you usually are more than anything else? Anybody? We helped a lot of people who were really, really appreciative of it. And people have paid back the money that we've given them. And it's an honor for us as a church to, uh, because you guys are so faithful in all those areas, we do have a little bit of extra money in the bank. And when a single mom or a single sister or a man who's injured and down on his uh, luck, so to speak, we have that little bit of money that we can help them. And that's a blessing. We love it. We, we know who the leeches are. You know what they usually, the first thing they say is? Give, give. Give, 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 give. I know your parents. <laughs> now he does a really cool thing. He does this weird, again, this literary style. He changes directions on. And, and this, listen to this, he says. There are four, th- I'm sorry, there are three things that are never satisfied. Four never say enough. He does this thing where it's almost it's almost like a, a Dr. Seuss book. Three ways that I love you. Four is how you understand how he does this? It's not some it's not like a biblical style on this. It's just a cute poetry-like fun way he speaks. But the things that he says here are so doggone true. Three things are never satisfied. Four never says enough. The grave, the barren womb, the earth is not satisfied with water, and the fire never says enough. Now, three of those things are obviously natural in men. The grave. Every single day, people are dying. And the grave never says, I've had enough, right? Fire. No matter how much you throw in the fire, the fire never chokes out because you threw too much in it, right? Unless the thing you throw in there, not possible, of course, but let's assume they are, right? Then he says, the earth is not satisfied with water. He says, no matter how much water comes down on the earth now, he's never going to let it flood again. 
Every time you go outside and look at UC or Rambo, you can know that was my promise to everybody here at the end. This is the fact of the woman. Woman who never had a child. If you've ever met a woman who cannot have a baby, they always are in mind. They always, I wish I would have. It's such an interesting phenomenon. But I love the caveat all throughout the Bible that it gives that, that the barren woman will sing like a mother of children. Oh, you who never bore women, who never bore children. Lift up the pegs of your tents, draw it I love what um, Rita Springer one time, she was at, we were at a concert, she said, that we were at, she said at this concert, something that just so warmed my heart to hear her say that. You know, Rita Springer, not, she's a worship leader, very, very, um, never became successful in the, uh, the uh, broader spectrum of big churches. But to those that worship, she's the She adopted this little baby. She adopted this little brown boy. And um, she's never been married. She's, she's uh, from a very interesting family. And her dad is a big time of that. Bringing people and she tells great stories about it. She says, God knocked on my heart when I was reading the Bible. And she says, God calls himself the father to the fatherless. And he said to me, can you be mother to the motherless? I'll never forget that. You remember that, baby? And she said that. It's such a wonderful time. And uh, I always encourage women to never have a baby. Say it about it. You know, it's not. And here's the, here's the questions that me and my wife get asked all the time. Obviously, you guys know we can talk. Is there any difference between the baby that you adopt and the baby you give birth? Because me and my wife obviously have children together from, from our loin, my loins, and then we have adopted babies. And we always say the same thing, oh, baby. Not the ones we adopted. Oh, we are like, really? Like, there's a tummy baby, and then there's a heart baby. And when God forms the baby inside you, there's something beautifully natural about it. But when the baby, when God forms the baby from your heart, you fall in love with that child. There's something so supernatural about the love that develops in your heart. Never be afraid to adopt If God can be a father to the fatherless, you can be a mother to the motherless. Amen on that one? I love this verse. It's like my favorite verse in the whole Bible. The eye that mocks his father and scorns obedience to his mother, the ravens in the valley will pick it out, and young people will eat it. I love that verse. As a matter of fact, I tell my kids that verse all the time. You guys don't get it. It's supposed to be like this big joke. <laughs> The eye that mocks his father and scorns obedience to his mother, the ravens of the valley will pick it out of the young people. You tell that to your kids when they're messing up. You hear that, David? Read it out loud. We need to read it. 
There are three things which are too wonderful to me. Yes, four, which I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the air, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship in the midst of the sea, the way of a man in the earth. Now, what I love about these verses here, verse 18 and 19 are all the same thing. Now, again, please remember, we're reading the Proverbs. There are so many facets to the diamonds that is in here. As you read the Proverbs, remember, you cannot exhaust the wisdom in them. It's not like boom, that means that, period, boom, over, anything. You can apply the wisdom of the Proverbs to so many areas in your life. Like, if we finish Proverbs chapter 31 next week, and I started Proverbs chapter 1 all over again the following week, it would be a whole new study. My life and your life are all the places that you'd be able to apply the things that you apply to a whole different area. So when I say this to you about this particular verses, although I mean it sincerely, it's not the only application. Listen to this again. Solomon says there are three things which are too wonderful to me. You know what? There's four that I don't understand. But I want you to skip down to the very last verse. The way of a man with I think, personally, because he understood, I have applied this to my life. Whenever I see a young man courting a woman, whenever I see a young man interested in a woman, whenever I see a young man newly wed to a woman, you know what I do with this person? I apply all of them to that. Listen again. Here's a young man with a woman. Sometimes he's like an eagle in the air. Sometimes he feels like a ship in the middle of the sea. You guys hear? I love those set of verses. Whenever I'm in that, in that office with a premarital, I'll say to the man, Exactly. Love those verses. Verse 20, I don't like so This is the way of an adulterous woman. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I don't know what If you've ever talked to a man or a woman who cheats and they are not remorseful, they didn't like slip up, they didn't really you know, do something dumb. Craziest thing. I've been in that office with a woman that she loved her husband. She sat there telling me how it was his fault. It wasn't my fault. His fault. He did. And she looked at me and was like, You cheated on me. I don't care if you yell at you. I don't care if you're a bad breadwinner. I don't care if you spend too much money.
a lot of things turn into these things. <laughs> he says, you know, three things really make the earth bad. Four of them, entire existence just blah. Hate that. Hate that. You ready? A servant when he reigns is nothing for him. A fool when he is filled with food. You ever see somebody? It, it, usually it's a young person, like somebody in their, in their um, early days of working, they get that first check and go out and spend more things like you never even need to guess on your But, but, they're fools who still have food. You guys know what I'm talking about? Because we were all that fool, were we not? Man, I want a TV. You might want to pay your rent for it. And a hateful woman when she is married. And a maidservant who succeeds her mistress. When, when the wife gets dumped and the man goes into the, the, um, the maid or the nanny or anything, what would that mean? Interesting stuff, right? Continuing. There are four things which are little on the earth. But they are exceedingly wise. The ants are a people not strong. But they prepare their food in the summer. The rock badgers are a feeble folk, but they make their home in the crags. The locusts, they have no king, yet they all advance in ranks. And the spider skillfully grasps with his hands and is in king's palaces. Let me explain these things to you because they're so interesting. He says there are things that are little on the earth. But they incredibly make no sense, but sometimes their lack of sense. You guys put on the jaws? God, big dumb animal. Yeah, I mean, very dumb or very smart. Down to the boat! Down to the boat! This is exactly what he's saying here. He says, the ants are a people. I love the way he calls them a people, not strong. But they prepare their food in the summer. Ants are always busy, man. Always busy. They're not smart. They don't have brains. And yet they're always gathering food. Ants never, an ant has never died from not being from starvation. Ants don't die from starvation. You know why? They always got food. So that's interesting to me. Now, remember, Solomon, according to, don't remember where, said he was an expert. I think it was Ecclesiastes. He was an expert in animal behavior. Creeping things, snakes, reptiles. He had, he had a zoo. He had zoos filled with animals. So he studied these things and he's like, man, ants let me out. Always busy. Putting stuff away. But, but they're, uh, they're not strong. I mean, watch. I can step on one, but Rock badgers. Now, the word for rock badgers there is what's called a rock hyrax. If you don't know what a rock hyrax, anybody know what a woodchuck is? Anybody go to the woods and see a woodchuck or 
What do we have down here? Huh? No, no, no. Like a little, like a little chubby man. Groundhog. A hyrax is like that. A hyrax is about, well, we used to have them. They're about that big, I'd say. Small dogs, five, six pounds. The closest living relative to a rock hyrax is anybody? It's the craziest thing. They got little feet. And they walk. Rock hyrax are this fat, chubby thing with these little tiny legs and these little feet. Man, these things can walk. If, if you ever see a squirrel walk along the wire up and down, that's how they walk. But you're like, how is he doing that? He's all fat and And the crazy thing is they're smart and mushy animals. But they live in the crag. You know, you know what a crag is? If you look at the side of a mountain and where all the rocks are stacked up, all those little holes, those are called crags. He said, rock hyraks are feeble little people. They're soft and mushy and weird, but they live in crags. That's pretty dumb. Because you can't get to them. So this soft little body is protected by jagged rock. To impress Solomon. Jedediah. The locusts have no king, yet they all advance in rank. You guys ever see where the locusts move in? Okay. Think late May in Florida and think love bugs. Think love bugs in late May and driving down the turnpike somewhere towards Central Florida. Think, bring with yourself a squeegee because you won't be able to see out of the window. Who tells those things to do that? Who gives these things all this wisdom? The, the, the um, fascination that he has is with God. He's like, who programmed this thing? Who programmed the ants? And don't you see the, the, the wonder of God in everything? The ants are people not strong. Hyraks are a feeble little folk, and, and even these stinking locusts, man, they don't have a king. There's nobody that's just, now we're Craziest thing. And then I love when he talks about spiders. You ever see a spider outside? It's the craziest thing in the world. It don't matter where you are, you can find a spider in a king's palace and eat delicacies. Yes, spiders are outside. That's a dirty old spider, dirty bug, the bug's outside. Not spiders. They're in the king's palace. That's the example. Brother? Isn't that interesting, too? Did he not yet realize that? Or? <laughs> you know, maybe it was the people not strong because he used the there, that as a as a general um, as a general people group, they're easy to eradicate. You know, like they may be strong for their size, but they're not strong for us. Bullet ant, maybe. So that's a really interesting point, though. But right? he called them people not strong yet, and that can carry like eighteen times its own weight. Interesting. Twenty nine. 
There are three things which are majestic in pace. Yes, four which are stately in walk. A lion which is mighty among beasts and does not turn away from the enemy. A greyhound, a male goat also, and a king whose troops are with him. There are certain things he says that are just, you see they're majestic. There's something kingly. When if you've ever watched those shows when a lion, there's a lions that they turn their hand. When, when, when lions are, are on the crowd, they're like this. But when lions are like showing off, You ever see that? It's kind of a really cool thing they do. They strut. What? Horses have so many different gallops and prancing and when they arch their back and bend their neck and bow their neck. Now, you see that word for greyhound? They really don't know what that is. Um, that uh, the source word there. Not known. They used greyhound because they were thinking of a majestic dog on the field. But that could be, think about any animal. Which, have you ever seen a male goat? Huh? No, the one before that, greyhound. You read the NIV? What does it 31 say? Running rooster? See, they don't really know what. But in Israel, like we have a we have a rooster on the farm that we call him Mocha Bro. His name's Mocha Bro. And he's great with the kids, he's good, he doesn't attack the kids. But when it comes to any women's man, man, he's over here one day, he's over He puts them to bed in different like at the end of the day, he takes one of his gaggle of women and he puts them in the cage. Get the cage, right? He wants to go tell her, close <laughs> And then he walks over to the other cage, Mr. Mr. Mocha Bro, and he makes sure they're out, out for the night. Keelan, you're going to come out and close the cage? Keelan. I'm telling you, something about these roosters, man. I'm going to leave all the other analogies aside, but it's just a really cool thing to watch there, how they're programmed like this. And, but what I love about the male goat, has anybody ever seen um, Planet Earth? There's a show called Planet Earth. And there's this rock hillside that these goats climb up. You've never seen anything like it before. It is like, I'm talking, not a 45, it's like, and they literally find the smallest crack. And the males, they stand up there in their crack. And you sit there and think, how the heck did that get up there? Bizarre. Hmm? Mountain goats? They sit at the side of there? So cool. And finishing, oh, and the king, his troops are with him. Uh, obviously, I think he's um, referencing the fact that. Uh, Reference in Braveheart. A thousand years before Braveheart, so three thousand years before Braveheart, but he's referencing Braveheart. If you have been foolish in exalting yourself, or if you have devised evil, put your hand on your mouth. For as the churning of milk produces butter, the wringing of the nose produces blood, 
So the forcing of wrath produces strife. I love verse 32 and 33 because they are kind of like life verses for me. I spent my whole life foolishly wanting myself to be better and better and better and better than everybody else. Foolishly thinking that I was something that I was not. It's, um, it's interesting when I say, you know what? If you've done something stupid, you need to be good. Now, the application for me with my wife is this. I often say things and then wonder why I said them. Because I often say things that one time my wife will think is funny, and then the same thing if I say it a week later, she won't think it's so funny. And I. But then he says something. So you know what happens when you churn milk? You get butter. You know what happens when you squeeze somebody's nose? You get blood. Those things are going to happen. They're a given. You know what else is a given? If you try to force wrath, all you're going to do is produce strife. Now listen, stay with me. If you try to correct somebody and they don't want to be corrected, if you try to tell somebody something, they don't want to hear. Your best bet is not to force it. Because all you're going to do is, no, but I just want to, I, but you made a mistake. My mom was the king of correcting people. Like if you said something wrong, if you phrased something wrong, like worse than Johnny. Like, like if you tripped, you're like, Will they squeeze me? Did you say squeeze me? I think you got it. When you force correction in any way, now I'm making lighthearted examples of it, but couples, parents, the forcing of wrath produces strife. You understand it? I love the way you put that there. Such, for me, guys, out of everything we studied tonight, those two are, that's, that's me. Stop producing rap. You don't have to, if they're not getting it, just leave it alone. You want to get to a fight with everybody? I don't. Anyway, I'm done. Again, I, I suggest you watch that video of Chuck Missile to give it a detail on the words and you can see. Because he really goes into detail about the Septuagint. You guys don't know what the Septuagint is. That's when the Bible is translated. In Latin, there was um, uh, there was um, seventy interpreters that took the original language and turned it into the whole thing into Greek. Look it up, and that's why you'll find the root words there that coincide with the Hebrew words. And there's so much fun you can have with this stuff. There's so much to learn from it. To see that a guy like Solomon, no matter how smart he was, knew he was no smarter than God. See that there's stuff here that you can apply. Don't go on a service with master, don't rest. All these things that immediately can take home immediately. Now, next week, guys, is chapter 31. It is about the woman who's a tenant. Like my daughter Arthur. Like my daughter Elena. Like my daughter Tammy. 